0: your host Kurt Sandvik and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac is it the first one of the new year or the second one I've lost track already of 2022 but on this edition let's look at Bigfoot from around the world but first as always we got shout outs shout outs for the patrons patreon.com slash paranormal almanac if you want to join and become a paramaniac like these guys These guys help the show. So we have shout-outs going out to Kosh. Try that again. Kosh, Kosh, Sean, Deborah, Andrew, Tasha, Scott, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Ricardo, Vicky, Christopher, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Michael, Terminal Animal, Alicia, Alicia, Derek, Becca, Elizabeth, Voitek, Sherry, Art, Art Muffin, oof, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Damien and Daniel, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Jen, Alexandra, George, Connie, Seth, Jason, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, what's that, Loki, Carrie, Ezra, Robin, Will, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Russell, Donald, April, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, hey Dorian, how you doing? Cindy, Bob, The Sean Bishop, aloha. Paula, Jerry, Leo, Scostin, Lindsey Hahn, hey, howdy, hi, Megan, Aaron, Jeff, T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Melissa, Lawrence Strong, hey, howdy, hi, and happy Thursday? I don't know what day it is. Veronica, Autumn, J. Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Heidi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Laura, and GamerFan. That's right, head on over to patreon.com paranormalalmanac to become a patron today. Become a paramaniac. With special shout-outs, as always, to Joe Teague and to Stitch. Alrighty, with that, let's head right on in to Paranormal News. Yeah, that's a good one i love that uh once again if you want to send in your own jingle to paranormal news send it over to paranormal at gmail.com i want a brand new 200th episode jingle so if you're a songwriter or musician of any kind here's your challenge the 200th episode is coming up soon i'm trying to get everything prepared for it now i'm working on it now Even though technically, yes, I know, there's already been 200 episodes. I'm only counting the ones that aren't the live episodes. Although I might start counting the live episodes because I'm getting excited about this uh, 200th episode. But I need a 200th episode paranormal news jingle or intro music. So if you think you're up to the task, send it in. If I like it, I might just play it on the air. Okay, up first in paranormal news, searching for Bigfoot, the wild man of North Texas. Fun fact, or spoiler, or hint, or however you want to word it, you're going to be hearing the term wild man quite a bit on this episode. So this comes from Commerce, Texas. They say it's a myth still in the making. A Legends fascinated people around the world for hundreds, if not thousands of years. A hairy creature roaming the forest, frightening unsuspecting travelers. Now that legend has come to our own area. For the last several years, a quiet family... In the small town of Commerce, Texas, they've been hearing strange sounds coming from the forest. Howls, they say, are so full and so deep that they vibrate your insides. Vocalizations, they say, no human is capable of making, even with a bullhorn. This comes from Bill Gibson and his family. They've been living in the house on the east side of town all of their lives. Bill recalls the first time he heard what people in the area call the wild man of North Texas. It was 40 years ago. You can actually feel it in your body. The only way I can describe it is like when a train is running real close to you and you just want to take off running. Bill's son, Jeremy, was just, I don't know what he means by that. I've had trains run right real close to you. Yeah, I mean, you can feel it in your body, but I've never had the take off running. Maybe he means run away from it. I don't know. Bill's son, Jeremy, was just 10 years old when he first heard the sound. He said, it's been haunted by the creature ever since. I know what's out there. I know it. What's out there, they asked. Well, something big. After years of silence, the Gibsons say the wild man has returned, waking them up in the mornings with its howls, but this time they called in renowned Bigfoot hunter Tom Biscardi to investigate. We know that something has been through here in the last three days. We've all heard the stories, but we can assure you, whether or not you believe in Bigfoot is the last thing on Biscardi's mind, because he says he's seen one. When I first started out, I was a doubting Thomas, excuse the pun, but then I found, then I saw one and got real close. I said to myself, my God. Him and his men found what they believed to be several large footprints in a clearing about a mile away from Gibson's home. So they set up a perimeter, hung bait, bait's misspelled, Channel 10 News, and strapped infrared motion sensor cameras to the surrounding area. Wow, they actually said hung bait, B-A-T-E. That's a different thing. Uh, regardless of what you want to call the creature, he says he truly believes that a species exists that is so smart... It is adapted so well that it can avoid human population, avoid detection and capture. They uh, they say that the Bigfoot Project Investments Incorporated became the first of its kind to clear SEC regulation and go public on the stock market. What? I got to get a stock of that. The mission statement of the company to capture the creature known as Bigfoot. I feel very proud. This is one thing we've crossed over to mainstream America. We've taken a myth, a legend, a folklore, and brought it to reality. Now that the bait, spelled correctly, was set... Tom and his crew decided to check out another area believed to be the creature's stomping ground, but an hour-long downpour made getting to that location nearly impossible. They went back to return to the traps uh, over the night. Uh, Let's see. Uh, I'm going to try to get to the thing. It's a whole new day. It's a whole new adventure. One day he'll prove to the world he's been right all along. They're seeing something out there. Can all of these people be wrong? Are they all right and there's just something wrong with us? You never know. Yeah, I like that little last part of it. How can people around the world for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, keep seeing the same creature, yet people say there's no chance it exists? I don't, I don't buy that. Let's see up next in Paranormal News, Bigfoot report and sighting in Washington state. Guide to, pass, guide to past and recent reports and sightings in Washington state of one of the most popular cryptids, Sasquatch. I'm going to skip ahead because you guys all know about the Patterson-Gimlin film. They like to talk about that when you talk about upstate New York and or upstate California and all of the Northwest. Uh, let's see. Washington to State, Bigfoot Central have reported 5,477 reports of Bigfoot sightings from Maine to California. Of all the 49 continental United States, Washington has the largest number of reports at a whopping 695. Compared to other states, the next highest is Florida with 332. Ohio with 309. They also do a map, a really cool map, I must say. I'd like to get a you know, like a cool small frame version of this map of the uh, Bigfoot uh, sighting areas. And uh, yeah, it's interactive map. It goes into when it was last observed, what year, what the date is. There's one from October 10th, uh, 2020. A guy said I was deer hunting in, near Ellensburg specifically GMU 328 Nenium unit last October, 2020 on the fifth day of my hunt. I was looking over an open area that butted up the woods and I saw a shape at the tree line that was standing upright and appeared to be a person in a ghillie suit. I thought that was odd because it was required to wear hunters orange during this hunt. I then looked down to retrieve my binoculars that were resting on my chest and I raised them up to scan the area and the person or thing was gone. I scanned the area with my eyes and binoculars and did not see it again. The uh, person or thing I saw was approximately 300 yards away from me, and there weren't many hunters out on this day. I moved on via foot to the area to an area I haven't hunted yet, and after about 10 minutes, I saw a track on the ground that looked like a human barefoot mark in the dirt. I took a photo of it, and I looked around the area for more tracks, but could not locate any. The area was mostly a logged area with short-type grass with just a little bit of dirt in the area. The size of the print was only about a size 11 footprint. That's still pretty big. I then continued my hunt and left the next morning. Another one from December 16th, 2020. I went on a six-mile hike starting at the Marble Mountain Snow Park via the Worms Flow route south of Mount St. Helens. Oh, that's actually a very popular area for Bigfoot, or at least it was. At uh, 9.30 a.m., half mile up the trail, I stopped for some water and stepped over to look at the rock pit. While stepping back to the trail, I heard loud wood knocking sounds for about 10 to 15 seconds. I listened for a few more seconds and then got my phone out to record the knocking sounds. In my recordings, you can hear one powerful knock followed by faint knocking sounds. In my longer video, I believe three different uh, knocking locations can be detected, starting with one loud strike of a tree followed by faint knocking and then a more muffled hit followed by the same faint knocking sounds. I made it to back to my truck at 4 p.m. without seeing or hearing anyone else. Uh, with me being the only one parked at the snow park. And then I started my hike. It's cleared; nobody was near me at that time of the knocking. Forest Road 83 is gated for the winter with only snow park open. So just a couple of very cool little stories from that area. Is there a third one? Let me see. Nah, that's about it for that one. Uh, mostly people observe or hear knockings and sounds in that area. But again, it's a very cool interactive map. Um, I'll make sure I push, uh, post this up on push this up. Make sure I push this up on the Facebook pages. Um, but if you guys don't know, Mount St. Helens was a big hotspot for Bigfoot activity. Going back to the 1924 Ape Canyon incident, which I've talked about either on this show or on the uh, patron-exclusive episodes, but uh, it's a very, it was a very, very big hotspot, and then everybody was really afraid when Mount St. Helens blew that the uh, the Bigfoot were wiped out with them, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like uh, sightings are still going on. Uh, it's very interesting, actually. They say that I believe there's enough evidence to suggest this species does in fact exist, from the reports of a snowwalker by President Teddy Roosevelt, which was which killed a trapper in the Selkirk Mountains between Idaho and Washington State in the Wilderness Hunter, to a 911 call in the 90s from here in Washington State, where a man informs the dispatcher of odd occurrences around his house, from finding his dog killed by an unknown animal to his eventual sighting while on the phone. It's actually really cool. I think I played that as well. If I haven't, you know what? Hold on a second. I'm going to play that right now. 911, what are you
1: reporting? Uh, I got a strange going on out here. Something just killed my dog. Something killed your dog? My dog went flying through the air over the tree. I don't know how it did it. Okay. Damn it, I'm really confused. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence, and he was dead when she hit the ground. I didn't see any cars. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence. 911, what are you reporting? Uh, we got someone or something crawling around out here. Did you see what it was? Was it a person or an animal, or...? I can't tell. All I know is that my sensor light came on, and I just happened to glimpse and see this thing running across the yard. Uh, A good-sized man, or something looks like a man. I don't know what it was, just that it ran across the yard. Okay. You've had problems in the neighborhood before? Yeah, my dog was killed here just recently. I don't know what it was, whatever it is, it's running. I couldn't catch it if I was gonna chase it. But so whatever it was, it was standing up. I'm out here looking through the window now and I don't see anything. I don't wanna go outside. Jesus Christ, you better... Sheriff, sure. see ya. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him- Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh oh. Okay, hang on. He's right. Is he in your yard, sir? Yeah, I got him. Big. Okay, what's he doing in your yard? He's looking at me. Oh, and the guy is on foot. Just. I don't know what. It, it's it's a big, real big person. That's all I can say. Okay, but it is a it is a person. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it was a person. Somebody really big. But he's all in black.
0: He's... Is he a black male or a white male? Did you actually see it or was he just wearing black? He's all black and he's big. He is big. There you go. If you haven't heard that one before, uh, it's a really interesting call. I don't know what to believe. I, th- I kind of believe the guy. It seems like. Uh, he seems genuine. I'll put it that way. I don't like the fact that the dog was killed. That's terrifying. It's terrible. Um, but apparently he's also been on, um, Paranormal shows where he said that the figure was at least seven and a half feet, uh, tall, covered in hair. I, I don't know. Again, it's really, really interesting. It's a really neat case. Uh, a really neat Bigfoot sighting, which as you know, in this episode is what we're kind of going to be talking about, but you'll see in a second. Up next in Paranormal News, let's shift gears a little bit off of Bigfoot for this news story, Land. Landlords hold exorcism after refurbishment brings ghost out of the woodwork. The landlords of the Eight Kings Pub in Portland, Dorset, have seen a dramatic increase in so-called paranormal activity since they refurbished the premises in November of 2021. Now this, actually the story came out today, but it sounds familiar. I don't think I've told it. If I have, bear with me. It's only like a minute long. The landlords of a country pub have held an exorcism after a major refurbishment brought ghost out of the woodwork. Kersey Davouli and Darren Boudreau have witnessed some spooky goings-on in the Eight Kings pub, and even customers have said that they've seen ghostly apparitions about the place. Darren said that the paranormal activity began at the pub on Portland, a tide island off Dorset, after the pair shelled out for a massive renovation. They said that since they reopened, reports of customers being bothered by ghosts and sightings of the spirits have greatly increased, and the landlords have resorted to hiring spiritualists to perform an exorcism. Uh, Chrissy said that the sightings of the ghosts have been on the rise. Darren said, I feel very apprehensive after my first encounter. So after a deep thought, I tried to decide, I decided to try and move them on with the help of local church and spiritualists, hoping not to witness them again. I was told that the spirit had moved on and was hoping this would be the end of the matter. Uh, Chrissy has owned the eight Kings for just over nine years and said in that time, she's heard unnerving noises, had physical contact and seen human shapes around the pub. Darren moved in about a year ago, and he said that while the paranormal activity has always been rife at the pub, it's gotten much worse after the pair splashed out on a renovation. Over three weeks in October and November, the couple shut down the pub to spruce it up, and since then, the family members and customers have been freaked out after being targeted by spirits living in the pub. After the reopening on Wednesday, November 24th, Darren said that more people were reporting seeing or feeling a ghost. We had a family that sat in the bar. They told a member of staff there was a lady in the restaurant waiting to be served. There was no lady there. Another family said the exact same thing and they described the exact lady down to clothing and there was no connection to either families. A lad who was playing darts said he saw me stood next to him. A lad who was playing darts said he saw me stood next to him and then he looked around and I was stood behind the bar. Oh, I what he's saying. We have a dog and one night we're having drinks with some friends. We could hear the noise in the pub and we thought the dog had gotten out, but it hadn't. It was the spirit. Kersey and Darren announced their news on Facebook, and soon comments came flocking in with people suggesting different ways to deal with this supernatural issue, and one agreed that the the refurbishment, blah, probably sparked it. That's true. If you guys don't know, spirits tend to become more active after refurbishments of haunted uh, things. Anyhow, if you want to check it out, it's 8 Kings Portland on Facebook, and uh, they seem like genuinely nice people that are just dealing with the paranormal activity at their pub righty let's continue on and move over to another topic UFO filmed over New York City as strange lights filled the sky let's see a I'm trying to get to the actual story this happened in New York in 2020 it was just reported about. One astronomer thinks that because of their orange tint, the lights could just be sky lanterns. However, an aviation expert disagrees, suspecting that the lights are too bright to be a sky lantern or a drone for that matter. He feels they're planes coming into land at one of the city's airports and that they don't disappear from the sky. Rather, they just turn and their lights point in a different direction away from the camera. On the other hand, there are plenty of people who believe the lights are something otherworldly. One commenter even claims to have witnessed the same lights and stated they were definitely not any known type of aircraft. They had such an unnatural acceleration that they were they were there, then slowly moved, then straight, up, straight off darted off. I'm glad someone has caught it on video. They certainly aren't planes. They're a lot lower than planes and big. But, of course, Z100 does not actually share the video. If I find it, I'll share it on the uh, Facebook page. And last but not least, I wanted to do just a little bit from this news article about that... Uh, the new federal government UFO office that's worrying everybody. They said the um, this is a subject with a provable history of secrecy, and anything that lacks a new openness about the information is subject to more possibly inappropriate control. This comes from Ron James, a spokesperson for, the, for MUFON, which bills itself as the oldest, largest, blah, blah, blah. We don't see... What the, that this means this new resource will be dedicated to the matter. We believe that considerable resources have always been dedicated to the matter at some level deep inside the government and the industry. Who's to say they're going to tell us anything we need to know? And that's the worry that's been going on since word got out that there's going to be this new division that's going to help out, that's going to talk about openly about UFOs. And I kind of agree. What's in it for them? What's in it for the government to all of a sudden start giving us the full access to reports? Sure, I believe they're going to piecemeal out some little bit of disclosure here, a little bit of disclosure there. But for the most part, I really don't think they're going to be as open as they claim to be because I don't think anybody in the government is as open as they claim to be. I don't care where you stand on the government or... What side of the fence, or who you back as president, or whatever, I honestly don't see them being just as open as they claim they are. But hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get just a couple more reports a year, more than we would have before. We already are. So at least it's something, everybody. All righty, with that, let's close up paranormal news. But before we go to break, let me know who you would like to have on the show for the 200th episode. I know I already talked about the 200th episode a minute ago, but. Who do you want to see on the show or hear on the show? Because I want to have guests. I want to have some cool guests on the show. Obviously, they have to be obtainable guests. I don't think Zach Baggins is going to jump on the show or any of the Ghost Hunters. But who knows? Maybe, maybe, just maybe I can pull them in. Um, Again, I can't guarantee I can get them. But I've been reaching out to a ton of people that I would love to have on the show as special guests. A lot are just too busy. A lot just aren't responding. But, you know, it never hurts to ask. So who do you want to hear on the show? Let me know. I'm going to see if I can reach out to them. Also, you know, if you know Josh Gates or Jessica Chobot or any of the ghost hunters or any people that are on ghost hunting shows, or maybe you're one of them and you're listening to me now, please reach out to me at paranormalalmanac@gmail.com at gmail.com because I would love to have you on the show. Now, look, there's been a bunch of people that have said, wow, we checked out your Twitter and you only have 100 followers. Probably true. I don't know how many. They didn't say 100. How many of a 1,000 followers, whatever it is. Probably true. But I don't really use Twitter. Yes, I need to get better at the social media. I fully admit I need to get better at social media. But between my day job and doing this podcast, there's not a lot of free time for social media also. But I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to improve the show, get the show out to a bunch of new people but again even if it's just like a pre-recorded interview if you happen to be a if you happen to be prominent in the paranormal community and you have 15 or 20 minutes we can figure out a time or day to do a pre-recorded interview that I can throw on the 200th episode that would be fantastic it doesn't have to be an hour or 2 hours of your life i'm not asking that i know everybody's time's valuable just like mine like i was just saying everybody's busy right now but if you got 15 or 20 minutes Ten minutes. I don't even care. You know, we can do. We can set up a time. We can do a pre-recorded interview that I think would be fantastic because I really want to make this 200th episode huge. Because I'm not sure how many paranormal podcasts hit 200. Technically, yes, I've already hit it, but but anyhow, I think it's a big milestone. At least as far as I'm concerned, it's a big milestone. It's what I've I, I've always wanted to beat. Jason Klum, uh, comedy on vinyl podcast. He's a friend of mine. He's a great guy. Uh, I've been on a show. Uh it's brilliant show. He did it all himself and he did like I don't know 700 800 episodes. I think that's fantastic. It can be done. So I would like to do that. I would like to do that with this show. I'm not going anywhere, don't worry. Don't it doesn't I want you I don't want you guys to think like 200 and then I'm out. No, no, no. I'm here for the long haul, but I really want to make the 200th a big celebration because I did that with the 100th and I I just enjoyed doing it. Alrighty, that's enough babbling about that. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a moment. We are back. And on this edition, let's take a look at some more other Bigfoots around the world. You'll see what I mean in a second. That's right. You hear me talking about, you know, don't shoot Bigfoot here in North America. But what about elsewhere in the world? Well, spoiler Don't shoot them there either. Just don't kill things that you don't know what it is. Or don't kill things. Maybe that's the easier way of putting it. All right, let's go around the world, though, and hear about other local Bigfoot-type creatures most probably real on this edition. One, probably not, but I'll let you decide. And let's start in Central Asia. And this one here is known as... The, oh, I already forgot it, how to pronounce it, the Yanelik Adam. Let's see how we pronounce that name. As you know, I'm going to mispronounce things, so let's try it right off the bat. No, I, I want to see if how I can do it. Hmm, that doesn't help me at all. So Let's try the first part. Nope, didn't help me at all. Well, guess what? I'm just going to butcher my way through it. I'm sure I got it wrong, but I believe it's Yanelik Adam or Yanelik Adam, It's also known as the Yabalik Adam or Adam. Loosely translated, it basically, look, it means wild man. Remember I said earlier, you're going to hear the word wild man? Well, guess what? This is the first of many. This wild man is described as a hairy hominid creature from Central Asia. He's described as yellowish brown, full hair, yellowish brown hair, man-sized, but so no real size there, just man-sized, which, like... Which man? Are we talking, is it Tom Cruise size? Are we talking, is it Dwayne Johnson size? Man size doesn't help me. Plus, it's a little bit on the sexist side. Uh, It's said to dwell in the mountains and make guttural cries and throw rocks, you know, just like a Bigfoot does. But unlike the Bigfoot, the Yanalik Adam, or Adam, is said to molt in April. So, listeners, anyone going to the Pamir and Kunlun Mountains in an area where Tajikistan, Afghanistan, and the Xinjiang Ugar autonomous region of China mountains are in April. If you're only going there in April, only for April, if you happen to be going there for like a holiday in April, please find me a Yanalik Adam fur so I can make a really cool coat out of it. That would be awesome. Is that a fur coat? Yeah, but it's a molted Bigfoot coat. Find me another one of those. I think that'd be awesome. So these uh, these wild men are said to be excellent runners and swimmers and have been reported to be seen washing their infants in clean, cold water springs. Insanely cold water springs. I actually talked about that before, I believe, on the Yeti episode. They, there was, they, they watched them do that in a different region, but the same thing where they're washing the young in this, like, ice-cold water. They've also been reported to have the ability to make primitive tools out of sticks and stones and use those tools to kill their prey. So, already off to a slightly different version of the uh, of the Bigfoot or of the Yeti. Now, a quick grain of salt story time with very, very little details, but considering it came out of China, I kind of can get why there's very sparse details. Now, it happened in or around 1912. It's said that hunters actually captured one of these wild men in the mountains, they brought it into a village and they were actually feeding it raw meat. Now, after the news story reached Taxkorgon, which is in China, the Chinese authorities came and kind of took the creature away. And that was the end of it. Nothing ever else was written about this captured wild man. And again, I can kind of believe it. Um, they captured Orang Pendex before. They've captured Bigfoot before. They've captured that one in Russia. Her name was Zana. If you um you remember that episode, if you don't. I find that episode is a very crazy, cool episode about these Russian. I think they were Russian hunters or farmers that caught basically a female Bigfoot, had her captured for years and sadly had sex with it an awful lot until it had offspring. And they said that, you know, she was real and she lived in the town forever. But it's that same kind of thing where they capture these wild men and then you never really hear about it again. So let's move on from there to the Adam Dezapais. Now it's a hairy, again, I'm sure I butchered that. It's a hairy hominid, humanoid of Central Asia, especially in the Panmere Mountains of Tajikistan. And again, it's around the same area. It's also known as a bunch of different versions of that thing. It's slightly, it's said to be almost like the cousin to the Yanalik Adam. But... They all are kind of cousins. Everything you kind of hear about on this show are all cousins of whatever version of Bigfoot happens to be in that area. Now, these, again, are said to be humanoid-shaped, human-sized, man-sized. They have no speech but are said to make muttering sounds and have a sharp sense of hearing and can actually hear you before you can see them. I don't know how they know that. But anyhow... We'll leave those atoms behind until another episode and move on to the Yaren, which listeners might remember because I've mentioned them in the past. Now, here's a quickish grain of salt story about the Yaren. Again, it's a Chinese version of the Bigfoot. Now, this one is straight from the internet, so you know it's always got to be true. An anonymous informant of the BCSCC recalls that as a child growing up in Hong Kong, he had unusual neighbors who kept a strange animal in a cage which filled an entire room of their house. The neighbors apparently loved showing off their yeren. That's right. They had a yeren in a cage in their house. Now, yarin, uh, which means man bear, not to be confused with man bear pig, they said it was jet black in color, had a very oddly shaped conical head, and looked like some sort of large ape. Now, that was the only time that this person who wrote this little blurb said they saw the caged yeren, and obviously no names or anything tangible you know, are ever included in the story. So no matter what site I checked, I couldn't find anything else out about somebody else walking into a house somewhere in Hong Kong and finding a caged Yaren. Is it true? Is it not true? No idea. Alrighty, let's see. In 1989, two North American members of the International Society of Cryptozoology, Secretary Richard Greenwell and Frank Poirier, from the Anthropology Department at Ohio State University, undertook an expedition in China to search for the Yeren. Now, they met with a bunch of eyewitnesses, a bunch of locals, some who had seen the creature as close as six feet away, and investigators such as Li Giao Hua, who had spent 17 years looking for the Yeren as well. Now, during their visit to Shenanguizha and the Guangjiang province, they arrived at the conclusion that there was better than a 50% chance that there was some sort of wild man of indeterminate origins in the jungle. They based this not only on the eyewitnesses that they talked to, but also on hair samples from their expedition, which were analyzed and shown that these hair fibers contain 50 times that found in its human equivalent and seven times that found in primates. Basically, what it concludes is that they conclude it belongs to an unknown species of primate. So not a bear like they're saying the Yeti probably is. Not some extinct bear. This, they're saying, is definitely more primate. Alrighty, from there, let's go to the Barmanu. Now, the Barmanu, or Barmanu, or the Badmanus, is another Bigfoot-like creature. It's in the mountainous regions of northern Pakistan. Now, shepherds living in the mountains have long reported sightings of this creature. It's been sighted in the Tritral, Chitral, and the Karakoram ranges. I know I'm butchering all of this. I'm sorry. Between the Pamirs and the Himalaya. I got that one right. Which is interesting to me, anyway, because it's right, it's the place it's spotted is basically right in between the locations of most Yeti sightings and also most Almas sightings. In case you guys don't know, the Almas is the Mongolian Yeti or Bigfoot. And fun fact, all three have been reported since the 15th century independently. So they're probably all the same creature. Now, the Barmano, like the Sasquatch, are large, hairy hominids. They throw snow stones. They have guttural speech and even abduct women to mate with them. In case you guys didn't know that, there is a bunch of... Native American stories of Sasquatch abducting women to try and mate with them. I've talked about that on previous episodes, but just in case you didn't know that. Now, some sightings say the Barmanu actually wears animal hides on its head and back, which makes a lot of people wonder, are they really covered in fur, or are they wearing basically animal hides to make it look like they're covered in fur? Some people think they may be more Neanderthal looking and just cover themselves in hides. Now, the first search in Pakistan for the Barmano was carried out by a Spanish zoologist living in France. His name was Jordi McGraner, and he did it from 1987 to 1990. He wrote a paper called Les Homandes Reliques de Asie Central. Centrale. Uh, basically, it's a story about the wild man, the Pakistani wild man. He later researched the Barmano exclusively in the 90s, but sadly, this guy, unfortunately, was murdered in Afghanistan in 2002. Before he died, obviously, he wrote that he, quote, collected more than 50 firsthand sightings of an ape-like wild man and concluded there is something up there that people are seeing. Unconnected people with no motivation when they were interviewed by him would tell the exact same stories or descriptions of this wild man. Uh, Let's see, in May of 1994, during a search in Shishiku Valley in Chitral, cryptozoologist Jordi Margrainer and Maliseand and another associate, they were all up there, they were looking for the uh, Barmano, and once during a very late night evening, they heard unusual guttural sounds which only primitive voice boxes could have produced, they determined. And an eyewitness shown pictures of a selection, a bunch, sorry, eyewitnesses that were shown pictures of a selection of human and human-like creatures. Basically, they went up to all these eyewitnesses in that area, in Chitral, in the Shishiku Valley, and they showed them pictures of, like, here's a human, here's a Neanderthal, here's a Bigfoot, here's an ape, here's an orangutan, here's a polar bear, and they all chose the Bigfoot one. Now, again, this was in 1994, so they're not you know, cut off from the rest of the world. I'm sure they're not primitives living up there, but still, I think it's a very interesting note that all of these locals all went, yep, it's that one, and they all pointed to the Bigfoot one. Alrighty, from uh, Reddit, here's a story about the Barmanu. The Barmanu are said to mostly exist in the Chitral Valley because Jordi Magrin did some research, I just talked about that, in the 90s. He reported hearing strange sounds and met many men who'd seen it. But still, I think his research was inconclusive. There was one article with an interview from a local man in Alai, or La, A L L A I, who reported their sightings. This location has many valleys which are mostly uninhabited, like the Lari Kas Plains and the Chor Meadows. If such a creature exists, then this would be the very best area for its inhabitants. Personally, I've never seen such a creature, but I've heard many stories and accounts. My father is an avid outdoorsman. Back in his day, he used to spend up to 40 days in the mountains, fishing, hunting, and exploring places. From my childhood, I have heard of one particular story from him of a creature in Kashmir. He described it as small, with an elongated, whitish face, with a human-like body. From what he told me, he and his best friend heard some voices on the roof of a Nomad's Stone Winter House. Nomad's Stone Winter House. They took a local with them to inquire, but only saw a glimpse of the creature I described above. Fast forward to 14 years later, me and my father were returning from a trip north and decided to visit the Eosai Plateau. The sunset while we're in Chilum Chowky. Oh, boy, I'm butchering names. Sorry. And we had to stay at a little wooden uh, hotel kind of place. My father inquired from the owner about such a creature, and he also described it in detail, having the exact same features, and told us of a place where they'd been seen. He told, this, he told about his great-grandfather, who'd actually caught one. Now, obviously, I cannot say about the authenticity of the hotel owner's account, but I will say... The Himalayas and the Hindu Kush are very mysterious and anything could be lurking in them. I thought that was pretty cool. I love firsthand accounts like that. Alrighty, for these next two, let's go to America. Yes, I know, I said I wasn't going to talk about Sasquatches per se, but these two might not be Sasquatch. In fact, they might not even be true. Just wait and see. You'll see what I'm talking about in just a second as I keep bumping the microphone with my hand. Alrighty, the first one... Was known as the Winsted Wildman from Connecticut. It's a really interesting story that doesn't get enough press. I mean, there are books that ha- you know that mention it and articles that mention it, but it isn't a big enough story as far as I'm concerned. Now, the Winsted Wildman from Connecticut had two strings of encounters, and these encounters were almost 80 years apart. For the first one, we'd go back to August 27, 1895. Now, the Winstead Evening Citizen actually ran a story, which ran again the next day in its sister publication, the Winston Herald, claiming, quote, a large man, stark naked and covered with hair all over his body, ran out of a clump of bushes. Now, it was witnessed by town selectman Riley Smith, who was out picking blueberries in the area of Colebrook with his bulldog, Ned. Now, something had spooked Ned, causing him to whimper and come crawling with his tail between his legs towards Riley, and that's when, quote, The wild man emerged from the bush, cried out, and scrambled off at lightning speed. Both Riley and Ned were paralyzed with fear. Well, yeah. Big, naked, hairy, wild guy came bursting out of bushes while I'm trying to pick blueberries with my dog. Let's see. A week later, the the Herald ran a story, a follow-up story, in which Smith described as a man who, quote, talks but little and of undoubtedly pluck and nerve, whose word is first class, provided more details about the wild man, describing as, quote, a wild, hairy man of the woods, six foot in height. The man's hair was black and hung down long on his shoulders, and that his body was thickly covered with black hair. The man was remarkably agile, and to all appearances was a muscular, brawny male, a man whom um, broadly man, a man against whom any ordinary man would stand little chance. Sounds like Riley kind of wanted to be dominated by the wild man all righty i don't want to i'm not going to kink shame him that's fine over the next few weeks the sightings continued a local man named george hoskins saw the wild man stealing two chickens from his hen house next to women from new york who were visiting the area they too saw a large strange hairy animal standing on its hind legs possibly quote a gorilla escaped from a circus the local chief of police stephen wheeler reported that he had sighted it and even chased it before losing the wild man in a nearby swamp. Then Jim Madra said that he had snapped a picture of the wild man, but the newspaper said all the photo showed was a normal man with a long head of hair and not a hairy creature. When asked about it, Jim said his camera had been so startled by the wild man that it couldn't see straight. Which I'm sure as you guys all know is exactly how cameras work. If you scare a camera enough, can't see straight. Can't take a good picture. Alrighty, then I found some very cool excerpts about the wild man, the Winstead wild man, that were that were ran back in the time. Let's see. First one's about Riley Smith when he's picking blueberries. You already heard about that one. The next one, he's Riley standing by a story, said he wants to be you know taken by the wild man. He loves him. Uh, not really. Uh, the next one says. He was chased in terror. He said it was in fact while burying in Riley Smith's berry patch recently that Jim saw the wild man. Jim shot the wild man with a Kodak and got the following picture. Jim says the Kodak got frightened and pull off put all of the hair on the man's head. The photo isn't really anything impressive. Then they talk about Mrs. Pulver of Colbrook, mother of Bert Culver. The culvers, the pulvers live on the farm at the intersection of Connecticut routes 183 and 182. Uh, let's see, they said that this morning in great distress and excitement informed the driver and occupants of the stagecoach that she had seen the wild man a short distance from the house this morning and requested the driver to ask the people of Winstead to send a party to catch the wild man at once. I don't know if it's a stagecoach or a stage. It just says, I don't know, hard to say. Uh, yet another article said the possibility that the wild man is Arthur Beckwith. But wait, we'll get back to that in a second. So let's see. Here we go. So the newspapers, they kept uh, running the stories of the sightings and more and more people had their own sightings. A reward was even set up for the capture of the wild man. Notice it didn't say the body of the wild man. It said the capture of the wild man. So even back then, the paranormal almanac Bigfoot rule applied. You don't fucking kill the wild man. You capture the wild man. So it's said that 100 men went out in a search party to capture it, but the wild man was one step ahead of them the entire time. Then, a possible explanation happened when the Hartford Sunday Globe speculated that the wild man may have been Arthur Beckwith, the man I just briefly mentioned. Arthur Beckwith, who is an escaped mental patient, had repeatedly freed himself from local asylums to wander the countryside naked and live off the land, never harming anyone, but causing a bit of ruckus. All right, now let's go back to those, those excerpts from the, from the articles. All righty. Possibility that the wild man is Arthur Beckwith, the insane artist escaped from a madhouse. Beckwith's romantic history is that he was once a wealthy, talented artist, but an accident made him insane. The out-of-town papers are still writing up the wild man by the yard without much regard for facts or for the matter without much regard to fiction. The Hartford Sunday Globe contained the following in its issue. It is worthy to reproduce because of its premises as to the identity of the wandering vagabond who was encountered in the woods by Selectman Smith. The theory may be Arthur Beckwith, the escaped insane artist, lends an additional interest to the affair. Beckwith was the son of Nelson Beckwith, a former minister of France, and though a wealthy man was brought up to earn his own living, he opened a studio in New York and began to accumulate a fortune. At his father's death, he received $500,000 as his share of the estate, and at that time possessed 140000 of his own dollars. While driving a pair of fast horses on the 7th Avenue, he met with an accident, which placed him in a maniac cell. He was inclined towards suicide and closely guarded in his home for many, many years. In 1890, he was sent to Litchfield Asylum. Under treatment, he became milder and was regarded as harmless. On September 10, 1892, while playing pool, he was left in a room for a moment. When his keepers returned, he was missing. Six months later, he was found in Cuba, living in a cave, acting like a wild man. He wandered about the countryside nude, living on uncooked food, vegetables, and fruit. He never molested anybody, but caused a reign of terror. He was finally captured and taken to the coast of Florida, where he again escaped. Later, he was retaken, brought to Connecticut, and again placed in the Litchfield Sanitarium. Later, he was removed to the Sanford Hall Insane Asylum at Flushing, New York. But in the spring of 1894, he again escaped. Throughout September, additional news items about the Wildman appeared. Um, nothing really ever came of it. But uh, let me get back. All right, let's get back off of that. So yeah, whole lots of about uh, about that cool. Naked Arthur Beckwith. Now, the sightings died down, and then fast forward to July of 1972. Guess who's spotted in the same area again? Yep, it's the wild man. The Hartford Current reported that two young men observed a, quote, strange man-like creature on Winchester Road near Crystal Lake Reservoir. They claimed to have seen at a distance an upright hominid about eight feet tall and covered with hair that eventually disappeared in the woods. When it suggested they might have seen a a large bear, they replied, it was no bear. We know what we saw. Two years later, in September of 1974, sorry, he reappeared again, this time by two couples parked at night by Rugbrook Reservoir. They told the police they were terrified by witnessing, quote, a six-foot, 300-pound creature covered with dark-colored hair in the moonlight and had fled immediately. A subsequent search failed to turn up any evidence. For now... That is all the sightings of the Winstead Wildman. Or is it? Because if you're listening to this in Connecticut right now, look out your window. Is that a 140-year-old naked insane dude running by your window? Or is it the wild man? I mean, either way, take a picture and share it with the rest of us. But how crazy is that, that there might be an explanation for the first batch of Wildman sightings, and it's just some insane, rich, rich, naked dude running around, scaring the crap out of people. All right. The next American story is one that is almost definitely a hoax, but since it's never been officially declared a hoax, I'll leave it up for you to decide. But seriously, Kurt here, it's probably a hoax. Now this one is known as the Minnesota Iceman. Let's go back to, sorry, wait for that to finish. Let's go back to 1968 when two Self-described cryptozoologist. Hey, here's a fun fact. Anybody that says they're a cryptozoologist is self-described. Uh, Ivan Sanderson and Dr. Bernard Wavelsman said they were uh, told about a dead creature that might be quote the missing link. The creature was six foot tall, covered in dark fur. It had a broken arm over its head and an eyeball hanging out the back of or hanging out of its socket from like a gunshot in the back of its head. Now this creature was preserved in ice. And transported in like a little like refrigerator looking kind of thing about the United States, again, 1968, as part of a traveling expedition belonging to Frank Frank D. Hansen. Now at first, the creature was known as the cyberskoi creature, the region it was said it was found and killed at. Uh, then um, they they changed the name to, as you just heard me say, the Minnesota Iceman. Now, Frank Hansen claimed that it was, quote, a man left over from the ice age, and he charged 25 cents for a peek at this thing inside its refrigerated glass, I don't know, refrigerator, freezer, coffin, whatever you want to call it. Now, the cryptozoologists were first told about the Iceman by naturalist Terry Cullen, who had observed the Iceman at the International Livestock Expedition's annual fair in Chicago, and he was hooked. He said, it's got to be real. Hansen claimed that he was the only that he was only the temporary ward of the body and that it actually belonged to an undis, undisclosed owner. Now, at the time, the why the weird rumor was that the owner of the Minnesota Iceman was actor Jimmy Stewart. Why? No idea. Wasn't true at all. He had nothing to do with it, but makes for good press. Because do you want to spend 25 cents to look at the Minnesota Iceman, possibly a missing link, or do you want to spend 25 cents to look at Minnesota Iceman, possible missing link that was owned by Jimmy Stewart, you know, just adds a little flair to it, so, uh, first, Hanson tells people, look, this thing was killed by a hunter in that region, I don't want to say it again, cyber, cyber, whatever, doesn't matter, um, then, he says, oh, no, no, The body had been discovered floating in a block of ice off the Siberian coast by a Russian seal hunting vessel. Then he said, no, no, it was collected in Vietnam and flown to the United States in a body bag. Yeah, that's it. Then he says, no, 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 it was a Japanese whaling ship that found the body frozen in a block of ice. Then later still, he said, no, no, I know what it is. It had been found in a deep freeze facility in Hong Kong. Then, still not done, he said, oh no, it had been shot on a hunting trip in the Whiteface Reservoir region of Minnesota. That's why it's eyeballs blown out and his arms all broken. Look, if you want proof that it's fake, well, having multiple origin stories so diverse like this and the whole, like, it's got to be owned by Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, that's it. There's Jimmy Stewart. That's proof enough for me. But again, uh, it's for you to decide. Keep. Let's keep going. Don't don't decide yet. But wait, there's more. All righty. Then with a little research, it was discovered that a Hollywood special effects film uh, com- firm, not film, firm company claimed that they actually made the Iceman a year before in 1967. His name was Howard Ball. And he made figures for Disneyland with his son, Kenneth. Now they had been um, hired to model the fake um, rubber hair creaturey thingy to quote, look like an artist conception of Cro-Magnon man with a broken skull with one eye popped out. And that Hansen himself had commissioned them to make the creature of the Iceman. And Hansen said, no, 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 no. I see what's happening. Yes. I did ask them to make this creature, but it's because the original one, the real one, was decomposing from all of the defrosting, refreezing as it traveled around America. So he said, "Yeah, you know, no, no, they made it, but they made the, the fake one so I could keep showing people what it looked like, so we could possibly preserve or possibly destroy the rotting original one, and." Those two cryptozoologists I mentioned a little while ago, well, when they went and saw the body, they determined, yeah, it's got to be real. It's too perfect of a specimen. So they called a the doctor and come and look at the defrosting body and said, the doctor even smelled the putrefaction where some of the flesh had been exposed from the melting ice. So is that proof that there was an original and then he just got a copy made? You decide. But wait, we're not done yet. One of those guys even wrote a paper about the Iceman for the Institute of Natural Sciences in Belgium titled Preliminary Note on a Specimen Preserved in Ice, Unknown Living Hominid, and an article called Living Fossil for Argosy Magazine. Then they called the Smithsonian. And the Smithsonian was like, all right, well, we'll send a guy out. So they sent a guy out to go and investigate it, but When they found out about the possibly murdered by a gun part of it, they were worried that it might be like a real human that some hillbilly or whatever just, you know, shot and then covered in fur and froze it. So they actually got the FBI involved. Now, the FBI kind of checked it out and they said, look, there's no law against shooting a non-human. And basically that was it. They're out. They're done. Then, strangely enough, around that same time, a woman who seemed like she wanted her 15 minutes of fame, as far as I'm concerned, she claimed she was the one who shot it after it attacked her in 1967 on a hunting trip near uh, near Bemidji. Yeah, sure, why not? Bemidji, Minnesota. But nothing came of that story besides an obvious, you know, like a tabloid story version of it. But nothing ever came of her version of it. So... Since no one credible would believe them, not the Smithsonian, not the FBI, nothing. The cryptozoologist, they kind of lost interest in the Iceman. Then word got out about all of the possibilities about being faked, including that uh, Hollywood special effects firm and all that fun stuff. So it kind of just kind of stopped touring. People stopped paying their 25 cents to go look at it, and it just kind of lost to time. And everybody thought, oh, well, whatever it was is kind of gone, and the guy, you know, possibly moved on or died. And that was the end of the story until 2013. When guess what popped up on eBay? That's right. It's not hard to guess. The Minnesota Iceman, is that's what popped up. That's when Steve Busty, owner of the Museum of the Weird in Austin, Texas, actually bought the Iceman from the family of its original owner in Minnesota on eBay. He says... You can go check it out. Come to his museum and check it out in Austin, Texas. If you want to, you can go to museumoftheweird.com for more info. And again, what do you guys think? Decide for yourself. Was it always fake? Was it real? Do you guys remember that when someone tried to do a modern version of this just a few years ago? Like maybe three, four years ago? When two guys said that they had a Bigfoot in a freezer, and that turned out to just be a gorilla costume or a Bigfoot costume, whatever that turned out to be. And someone actually spent a lot of money for it. But this is the original. The Minnesota, what is it? Minnesota Iceman. That's it. I keep wanting to call him the Minnesota Wild Man. I got Wild Man on the brain. righty, Let's keep going. I know it's almost an hour, but I don't care. Let's keep going. Um, let's move on to the beta toot. The beta toot. A name that I got wrong. For a very long time. I always thought it was called the Batutut, but it's not. It's the beta Toot. Now, for this one, we travel to Borneo for a quick second, back to 1970, where British zoologist John McKinnon found short, broad, human-like, but definitely non-human footprints of a shy, nocturnal proto-pygmy similar to Nepal's Taima, which, in case you guys don't know, the Taima is a tiny frog-eating yeti that lives in the tropical valleys of Nepal, but I'm not going to get to it on this episode. I'm running out of time, but we'll, we'll talk about them in a future episode. But anyhow, this guy, John McKinnon, finds these footprints, very tiny, very broad, human-like footprints, and he goes, what the crap are those? Or some version thereof. Uh, it's not an exact quote. And the locals go, oh, That's the beta toot. He said, I stopped dead. My skin crept and I felt a strong desire to head home. But he kept moving forward through the jungle and he said, farther ahead, I saw tracks and I went to examine them. I found two dozen footprints in all. Was quite happy to abandon my quest and shelter under a leaning tree trunk to wait out this sudden rainstorm, he said. He said, I was uneasy when I found them and I didn't want to follow them and find out what was at the end of that trail. I knew no animal we know about could make these tracks without deliberately avoiding the area. I realized I never went back to that place in the following months of my study. So basically he got freaked out one because the tracks were completely unidentifiable and he knew what he was looking for. He's a zoologist from Britain. It's 1970. It's not like 1890, but two it's because of how calm and confident the locals were when they said, Oh, it's the beta toot, which is a, Creature. So, Beta Toot, or Ujit, also known as the Forest People, or Wild Man. Take a drink. I should have said this at the beginning. Take a shot every time I say Wild Man on this episode. Go back and listen to this episode and take a shot every time I say Wild Man, and good luck to you. Uh, They said that the the, uh, Beta Toot is a Bigfoot like creature, seven foot tall, covered in hair except for its hands, feet, and face. Now, the hair color ranges from black, brown, and gray. And it's most often seen foraging for fruit or hunting langur monkeys and flying foxes. It's also seen in Borneo. And uh, th- witnesses there, though, describe it as four feet tall and very aggressive. The beta toot there, they say, occasionally will kill humans and tear out their livers. Couldn't find out more for that about that one. I really wanted to deep dive that, but it's about it. Uh, they thought that, uh, they're thought to inhabit the... Vu Quang Nature Reserve and other wilderness areas of Vietnam, Laos, and like I just mentioned, Borneo. They're thought to be a surviving population of Homo erectus or Neanderthals. I know I'm, supposedly, I'm, I'm supposed to say Neanderthals because that's the correct pronunciation, but look, I grew up, when I, when I grew up, it was Neanderthals, so it's very stuck in my mind. Uh, one of the earliest known sightings happened in 1947 by a French colonist who said they spotted what could only be described as le homme sauvage, wild man. Vietnamese scholars refer to the animal as ooh, I'm gonna get this one so wrong, nguoi ruong, which means forest man, and it's not pronounced that way at all. I'm terrible at that. Now, in the 70s, there was a bunch of sightings. By not just the locals, but also by American GIs. Because, in case you guys don't know this, there was a war. It was called the Vietnam War, where a bunch of Americans went to Vietnam and where servicemen said they called, they saw and called them rock apes, saying it was small in stature, about five foot tall, having a reddish tinge to its fur. Now, here's a very big grain of salt Vietnam War story. It was a hot day. The six men from the 101st Airborne Division were taking a break in the middle of a mountainous jungle when the event took place. They had been carrying 100 pounds of equipment under the unforgiving sun in a mosquito-invested environment full of unfamiliar sounds and views that were nothing like the American soldiers were used to in their native lands. See what I mean? Look, this thing's already starts out like bad fanfic. Like, it's going to be like, and that's when they found their enemy. It wasn't the Viet Cong. It was Bigfoot. And he had a huge... You know what I'm saying? It just seems like it's going that route. But I'm going to keep reading it. Grain of Salt, Vietnam. uh, Beta Toot Story. Despite the momentary resting time, they kept their five senses on, for they were aware that the Viet Cong could very well track them, something the natives were exceedingly good at. Suddenly, according to the men, a few small trees located 15 yards uphill began shaking. The soldiers had trained for this, and they got ready for combat to fight the expected VC soldiers jump out of the bushes. They never imagined what they'd saw next. A long cucumber-shaped, oh, Oh no. A long cucumber-shaped head showed up. The face, the soldiers said, was covered in red hair and a pair of dark eyes and a huge mouth. The creature then stepped out of the vegetation into a clearing, allowing the group to observe the rest of its muscular body, which was also said to feature the same type of red hair. The purported cryptid wasn't taller than five feet, and it walked upright. It stopped, looked at them as though scrutinizing each one, each and one of the soldiers. What the hell was that? One of the soldiers recalled, muttering. It's a rock ape, said another. No, it ain't, a third man said. I've seen rock apes, and that sure as hell isn't a rock ape. I'm going to give them all accents and stuff. The warriors didn't take their eyes off the creature. It's an orangutan, isn't it? Asked the first soldier again. Well, if it is, then he can't read a map. There's no orangutans in Vietnam. Two were also reportedly captured. Oh, that's the end of the story. I'm sorry. I don't want to skip ahead. Oh, my God. I almost skipped ahead. And that was the end of that really badly told Vietnam grain of salt story. I'm calling BS on that story. But again, at least it didn't end with them. And they all decided to fuck it. Uh, So let's see. Moving on from that, two of the... uh, Oh my God, I almost said it wrong again. Beta toot. Two of the beta toot were also reportedly captured by tribesmen near Daklak province in 1971. But I couldn't find out what happened to those. Again, it's another one of these frustrating things where they said, yep, yeah, we had one. We had them captured. And then it never tells like, well, what happened to it? Where's the body? Why isn't it? Why aren't there a million photos? It's 1971. It's not 1920s. We're a billion photos of those. Then, staying in the 70s, in 1974, a North Vietnamese general, Huang Min Tao, requested an expedition to find evidence of the creature, but unfortunately, that expedition was unsuccessful. They found footprints, but that was about it. Then, in 1982, Professor Tran Hong Viet of Pedagogic University of Hanoi found footprints of an unknown animal, and then he said he found similar footprints back in 1970. He said these footprints were human-like and still haven't been identified as to what made them. Now, over in Borneo, back to Borneo for a minute, the locals saw sightings since, you know, basically forever, but 1915 is when they really started to, like, kind of kick up. Because it was when the jungle started being stripped away, sightings went up. And then in Sumatra, there's this mention of the uh, Beta Toot. In some of the more isolated villages of Sumatra, locals claim to have had even... To have had even had close encounters with beta, with betatut. What I've even? I don't know. Basically, Sumatra locals claim to have had close encounters with betatut. It's just written terribly. In some cases, even offering food and sharing moments, watching as the betatut would eat and drink and speak in an unidentified dialect directly in front of them. So basically, as we encroach more and more into their homes, just like with the Bigfoot. Sightings are becoming more and more common. And that kind of seems to be the the theme around the world. That is, all these jungles are being razed or stripped or burned or whatever else is happening. We're starting to see more and more of these creatures that supposedly don't exist, but they're being spotted around the world. It's crazy. It's weird. If you you happen to write your own uh, Beta Toot fanfic and you want me to read it, with accents, you know, send it in. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get like Sean Bishop, who actually can do like voices, to to help me out and read one of those for you guys. But you guys gotta write it. I'll read it. But Sean and I'll read it, but you guys gotta write it. Uh so with that, you know, let's uh let's close up this edition on other Bigfoot around the world. I, I, I keep saying the same thing, but it's true. It's the same general description, no matter where you go. And it seems like people keep running into the creatures. Decade after decade, as far as you can go back, all of the native peoples of the world have some form of Bigfoot-like story. So what the hell is everybody seeing? I get it that, you know, these creatures have yet to be scientifically proven as real, but how much more anecdotal evidence do you need before you go, yeah, there's something out there? Because for me, yeah, There's something out there. All right. What do you guys think? Do You guys think that there are more, even more versions of Bigfoot out there? The answer is yes. Don't worry. The answer is yes. That's an easy one. I'll give you that one. I've got another whole list of them that I can do another episode about and probably will somewhere down the line. But uh, do you guys think that um, they'll ever be proven real? That's the big one. Do you think science will ever finally one day go, yes? These creatures are real. Yes, we need to protect them because we're destroying their habitat and they're obviously intelligent enough to stay away from humans. All righty, with that one, let's close it up. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Savig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. (laughs) It but of know a that I regret. When I I could given it.